Hey, welcome back to another episode of Svelte Radio. It's that time of the week again where we talk to you about Svelte. That was a really weird intro. <laughs> I'm, I'm joined by my co-hosts, Brittany and Anthony. Hello. Hey, what's up? What have you been Not up to? Much. Nothing. We're quiet this week. <laughs> yeah, very, very quiet. Anthony, in particular, just staring up at the ceiling. It's well, you asked me what's up. I'm looking, just checking. I mean, nothing. Oh, obviously, but terrible uh, joke. I know, but I'm allowed now because <laughs> my dad, and it's a dad joke. But no, I mean, it's been a, it's been a tough week actually. It's been a really tough week, so maybe I'm just exhausted. I'm not sure, but yeah, it's all go again now. It's all go. Yeah. All right. Cool. Cool. That's good. Glad to have you back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. So today we are joined by another guest. It's Thomas G. Lopez. Welcome. Thank you. So you are the creator of a pretty popular UI library in this felt ecosystem, right? It's called Melt UI, hence the, the title, Melting UIs. And I cannot also see now that I've misspelled your name in the title. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So, Thomas, you uh, recently became a, a Svelte ambassador as well, right? Yeah, I'm so happy about it. I was so surprised. <laughs> I was rooting for it. I actually was talking to Hunter, who is also a Svelte ambassador for a long time. Like, oh, I would love to be a Svelte ambassador and stuff like that. But yeah. And yeah. then... It just popped in. Oh, that's so awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're so glad to have you. You've added yes. such great contributions to the community. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Let's talk a bit about Melt UI and maybe actually before we do that, why don't you introduce yourself? What do you do? Are you a software yeah. developer? <laughs> Probably. Uh, right? Why are you here? <laughs> why are you on the podcast? I just popped in here and they let me. I found the link. It's like the same as ambassadors, right? Just by the link and there you go. <laughs> exactly. I discarded invite link, a secret one. <laughs> so yeah, my name is Thomas. I'm a front-end developer working at AppRide. I've been coding for a while now, seven years maybe. But my front-end experience only started in college when it was more or less 18 years. And yeah, I've been coding with Svelte for a while now, but it only became my full stack for everything, like for work and uh, hobby projects too, when I joined AppRite, but I already was doing hobby projects with Spell before that. I've always been keen on it. I even wrote a portfolio with separate ones. Mm, wow. So, yeah. How did you find Svelte? Did you originally use something, some other framework? or? Yeah. My first framework was Vue, but then for work reasons, I moved on to React. But then, like, I think maybe looking at Stack Overflow surveys or like a Fireship video, or I don't know, like Svelte was, is always like the, the popular uh, kid in the block, right? Everyone loves to talk about Svelte. So I think I just tried it out once and I really, really liked it. Awesome. No, so I, was, I was just saying that you rode the hype wave. I think this, it's interesting because yeah, Svelte gets a lot of mentions, doesn't it? I think I see it mentioned a lot. And um, I always thought it was unpopular, like it wasn't, no one really, really used it. But then one day, suddenly everyone, everyone mentions it every opportunity, which is, which is really weird. Yeah, it really gets like the fame of the popular, the loved framework, kind of like Rust is the loved language. I'm not sure nowadays, but Svelte is like the loved framework for yeah. JavaScript ecosystem. Yeah, I think a few people like got it from different avenues. Like I heard it from Syntax, listening to Syntax and Scott, like, talking about it all the time and then the surveys kind of picked it up and then the developers started like using it and liking it and so each survey like had it popular and then that brought in more people and so like we have different waves of people coming in but it's it's interesting like how people like found it i was actually going to mention that about the waves thing i feel like you had a couple of people the very early adopters, like probably Anthony, you were probably a very early adopter using like Svelte 2. Svelte 1. Svelte 1 oh even. Oh my See? goodness. <laughs> what did that even look like? Nobody knows because it's gone in the ether. Double braces everywhere, I think. <laughs> I, th I think it might be Svelte pre-1, in fact, to be honest. I can't remember what it was, but it was lots of double braces. It looked kind of like Svelte 2. What was it Svelte called before it was Svelte Reactive? 
was it or was it? There was reactive, which was different to Svelte. It was Rich Harris, I guess, just exploring reactivity within like a framework. And then I think it got launched around the same time as React first came out. And React oh. got that popular, like, you know, it got the popular momentum behind it because of, I guess, because of Facebook. And so it kind of, even though it had some great ideas, it kind of disappeared into oblivion, really. Yeah. And then Svelte was like, okay, but what if we did this? And, and the API became a bit more honed. It kind of it looked a lot like Vue back in the day. Vue was already there. It's like prior art. So it, looked, it intentionally looked a lot like Vue because Vue had some good ideas. And that's when that, so Svelte then got popularity around the point of three, really, but, but two as well, the tail end of two. That's when I started using it, for sure. Like the, I remember the, the Svelte 3 Hacker News post. That's probably how I, how I found it. Really? Wow. Yeah. In my head, that's the first wave, but it's probably <laughs> the second, in a sense. I feel like it's, it trickled in before that, and then you got the Svelte 3 release because it changed so much, and it was so much better developer experience-wise, right? There's also the Drip Thinking Reactivity video, which showcases a lot of Svelte-free syntax, which actually pulled me back in. Like I had tried Svelte, used a little bit, but pulled back into React because of work and stuff like that. But one day I saw that video, and I was like, I really should use it again. Yeah, yeah. The funny thing is, Rich Harris actually comments about a company, a Brazilian company called Stone, which used uh, Svelte internally. And I worked there, and I didn't know about that. Uh, it was actually, oh, they used it. It powers the, you know, the, the handheld things where you scan the your The POS. Car. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It powers those crazy. Just because it was low overheads. Yeah. Do you know the funny thing, though, is they had that insight to use something more performance for their POS machines, but then they were still using like React Native at embed web views for their mobile apps with low uh, 3G coverage and stuff like that. Sounds like a lot of people didn't enjoy that experience, like with bad, yeah. bad connections and stuff. Exactly. Mm. I'm not sure how it is today. It's been a while since I've uh, been there. Maybe it's changed since then. Yeah, I think the guy who did it at Stone, I think he left. So maybe the same impetus wasn't there to like roll out stuff, everything else as well. I, I don't know. Yeah, but it's also a really big company. It was like when I worked there, it was like 5,000 people or something like that. Wow. So to roll out that in company-wide, it takes some time, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. And then after the Svelte 3 wave, we had the, I think Svelte Kit was probably next, but that took a couple of years probably before, before we get that, got that next infusion of people. Well, then it got announced, didn't it? And then it took two years to get it out. <laughs> you know, it's going to be soon. I guess, I guess Svelte Kit was two waves then, the announcement yeah. and the release. <laughs> yeah, maybe two waves. What's important about SvelteKit too is like, at least for me, when lunch was like, okay, now I can actually use SvelteKit and Svelte in general in production. Like, of course, you could use Svelte. And since everyone was doing server-side rendering and stuff like that, it would be really yeah. weird if you didn't use it. And it would also be weird if you use something that's not like ready for release, like 1.0. Yeah. Ready. So when SvelteKit launched, it was like, okay, Svelte is now ready, let's say. Yeah, I think the way of Svelte was, you say it, it got popular around three, and I think the video helped, but I think also for me, when you were writing Svelte 2, because it had like that embedded, like you exported a graph memory component, like a hash with stuff in it, like a computed block and things, and it made it made you have to do a lot of gymnastics in order to get variables to other parts of the object or part of the, part of the component, so I think that put people off generally the same reason view change in the end and it was the kind of hooks idea that came from React that made Rich and others think, well, hang on, why don't we just put state at the top level? And at that point, it makes more sense because if it's at the top level, it's not embedded in an object. It means you can access it as you would any global variable. And that, I think that was a massive shift. Then everything became simpler. When people, again, didn't like it because it was less obvious what was reactive and what wasn't, what was computed and what wasn't. But when they realized, it's like, oh, yeah, that's much better. Yeah. And then, of course, the latest thing, runes. Runes. We'll probably talk a bit about today, but probably more towards the, the second half. But yeah, let's get into to what you, you've been working on, Thomas. So we, uh, I think the first time I saw one of your projects was when you submitted the Radix 
Svelte package to the hackathon last last year, this year, earlier this year. This year, uh, yeah. Yeah. Time doesn't fly, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so what was that? What was Radix Svelte? So Radix Svelte came from a popular React project called Radix UI, which is a headless library. And for those of you who aren't familiar with what headless means, it's just like components that don't come up with their own markup or, or styling, meaning they are completely customizable. They are made to be uh, wrapped into your product like completely into your own design system. It was something I was really missing in the Svelte ecosystem. Like there were some libraries that were headless, but they either were missing some components uh, or too much actively maintained, or they just didn't have that DX or that, uh, the features that Radix had. So I tried to port it to Svelte. That's what Radix Svelte uh, was. Yeah. And I don't remember the exact, like, which spot you got on, but you did win some prize, right? Yeah, I think I went, got a fourth place, if I'm not mistaken, for best library. Yeah. Yeah. But you've since abandoned Radix Svelte, right? Well, <laughs> yeah. That might be a bit harsh, but so, so you, you started working that on That broke my heart. <laughs> <laughs> But you started working on something that I hopefully think that hopefully you think it's better, the new project. Oh, this. yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. So then I started working on MeltUI. It was actually a bit funny, uh, just for a bit of context. Radix Felt came out, and then Shetsy and Svelte also came out. Uh, came out. Uh, Hunter talked with me. He came up with that product, which is also a part of an existing Rex product. It's Radix UI, but rebuild styles with Tailwind, right? You can modify them, but it's easier to get started with, basically. And then I talked to Hunter like, hey, I don't think Radix Felt is working out too much. It's when I started MeltUI, yeah. What kind of issues did you run into? Like, Basically, working, how can I explain this? There were some limitations with the way I was doing things, like component-wise, that made it a bit harder to, to style and customize the components. Okay. One of them is due to how you style components in Svelte. For example, let's say you want you want to style a component in Svelte, right? So we have scope styles. That's how you would style elements. But to pass in a scope styles to a child component, you can't do that. You can using wrappers and some hacks and stuff like that, but you would have to use a global selector. So the, the and I get why why it's done. It's a thought. Uh, it's a well designed limitation, but it's a limitation nonetheless. And I wanted to make something really customizable. So there was that. And there was also another thing. Radix allows you to change the element that you, uh, that's actually rendered. So let's say you have a tab button and you want to change it. I don't want it to be a button. I want it to be an anchor tag, right? The Radix, you just put the original Radix, you just put a prop as child. Then whatever you pass within that component is what's going to be actually rendered. But to do that in Svelte, it's a little bit less ergonomic. You would have to pass in slot props and stuff like that and actions. It would be a little bit too much. And I felt, I felt like I was battling against Svelte framework. I was just copying what, what Radix had done in React using components, and I was battling against uh -huh. what Svelte was made to do. Yeah. Uh, Melt gets a different approach. Instead, we have instead of shipping components, we ship what I call builders. So builders are just a function, and they return for each element that a component is destructed into, a store and an action. So that's a little bit more uh, understandable. Let's say you have tabs, right? A tab components. So you have a bunch of buttons and the content associated to a button. Tab one, content one. Button two, content two, and so on and so forth. So we would ship a button store and a content store, and also a button action and a content action. The store contains the attributes, the action contains any interactivity, any scripting, any event listeners. And you just attach that to an element. Why? Just so I can, now, since I'm working with elements and not components, I can do whatever I want with them. I can style them using scope styles. I can change what element I want to use. It's much more flexible uh, doing it that way. And I can create my own components with my builders, my comp and the melts component builders. It's more direct interactivity with the DOM rather than having that component scoping with the Svelte markup, right? Exactly. And 
well, use the platform. Yeah. And if anybody <laughs> wants like more detail on any of that, I had Thomas on the Sirens stream and he like showed how Radix worked and then how Melt UI works. So if you want to actually see any of that, like go through the steps, it's on YouTube on the Sirens Melt UI stream. Yeah. I also did a presentation. Sorry. <laughs> I also did a presentation on Spelt London and where I show where I created the builder from scratch. Oh nice. Without importing any dependencies and stuff like that, only using Svelte to see how a really simple builder could be done. It's not that complex at all. It actually made it easier to ship out new builders than it was creating new components in Radix Svelte. Does this mean that Svelte doesn't know about the DOM updates that have happened because you're manipulating the DOM directly or have I misunderstood? I mean, they kind of, since I'm using Svelte actions, they still kind of know. Yeah, they kind of still know about the DOM updates and stuff like that. I'm still using like, Melt is still dependent on Svelte stuff. So I even use lifecycle methods, which I want to remove. But I use unmount and undestroy and all that stuff too on the components. Why I want to remove them is just because, so you can call the builders outside the component if you want. Right. But yeah. Like when it's created, it's using the actual Svelte stores in action. So Svelte is still tracking that stuff. It's just directly interacting with the DOM through Svelte. And I kind of need to use like when I pass in a star to a component, I'm not just like getting the reference to the component, something like that. I'm spreading the star value with that dollar syntax and whatnot. Right. Okay. So yeah. Which is actually it's an interesting thing. Before Melt was using, I really didn't want to have to pass in spread attributes and an action. Like they would have they are two separate things. So at first I did this really hacky thing where I would just pass in the star. I would pass in an ID or some reference. And then internally, I would use that ID to like document that very selector. <laughs> and then use the event listeners and stuff like that, using tick, Svelte tick and stuff like that to make sure the element was created before. It was really hacky. And eventually I found a bug where basically you sometimes wouldn't get the reference to that element or the events wouldn't be attached. They would always have to be reattached. So like if you ran it, in by test, you'd have to use sleep every time something changed. You would have oh. to await uh, some milliseconds. I was like, yeah, this this is not working. Let's use actions. Yeah. Actions are nice. I really like them. So what, yeah. what kind of features are can one expect from one of these builders? So I'm looking at the at the website here and you have a, a ton of builders. So you have an accordion, an avatar, checkbox. Why would you use a builder for a checkbox rather than a just a an input regular HTML element, for example. A lot of a lot of the builders replicate, as you said, like normal HTML elements. But the thing is, HTML elements are notoriously hard to style. Some of them, for example, a select. A select is one of the most requested things in a headless library, especially because you can't currently uh, style select really well. You can style the box, but you can style the options themselves, right? So with Melt, well, they have the same functionality as a normal select, mostly, but now you can style them. But it's not only that, like, you could try and build a select yourself, which is styleable. The thing is, it's missing a lot of accessibility concerns, which are not easy to build out from scratch and keyboard navigation and all that. I have a question about like native selects. Like, how do these translate to? different platforms like if you're using them on ios or like a mobile device how do, does that select box does it just look the same as you've styled it or or like a date picker for example if you used a date picker like does that use the native date picker like how could how can you get around that stuff it depends you can change it yourself if you want for example what you could do, since Melt is really flexible, is let's say that, okay, in desktop, I want to use the native select, uh, not the native select, sorry, I want to use Melt select style on my own, right? But on mobile, so that the select doesn't overflow the screen, even though we do have helpers for that, or I don't know, you really like iOS's and Android's native select options, well, you can change that. You can, you could do with CSS selectors, you could just change 
what is being rendered. You could also just not apply the melt action when a certain breakpoint is being passed. That's something you could do. Okay. But the benefits too of like using actual like divs and stuff like that rather than selects is sometimes some of the even styling just the select box between different browsers and operating systems is a bit hard. They use different properties. Some properties don't work in a certain browser and stuff like that. While styling a div is really easy, right? Styling a div and making it look the same in different operating systems and stuff like that is much easier. I say Wait. a div, but it could be any element. Would that be a CSS selector from Melt, or would that be an if block, like in your spelt markup, to use a native select box? So can Melt actually style a native select box? I guess that's where I'm asking, is it a native select? Or is it divs? No, normally we use like for a select, it's a button. And then the menu itself, the options are just divs. And the, but the, the actual clickable op- options should be a button, but you can use a div if you want. So I think you would have to do an if, like an if mobile something in the Svelte markup for that. Yeah, or you could also just use CSS selectors, like use display none after a certain breakpoint or something like that, right? You don't need to use ifs to detect so the, the size. That's why it's even more progressive enhancement friendly. It's something I actually want to do too, progressive enhancement examples, meaning I do something like if browser, like if JavaScript is enabled, then I show the multi UI component. Otherwise, I just use the native select. Oh. That's something you could do. I feel like you could use the, the action for that and just attach the action to the outermost so an example of, of select you would have, I don't remember the, the syntax off the top of my head, but it's like, it's a select and then there's a, is, is a it options inside. Yeah. Yeah. Option element, right? So you, you would put the action on the, on the actual select one, and then you would just replace that with whatever. Yeah, we could do that. We do some similar stuff, for example, in avatar. We have an avatar component, which has a fallback. And whenever the image is loaded, we just hide the fallback. Yeah, we could do that, actually. It's a good idea. Because then, then it would work even if JavaScript was disabled, right? You would still have the select kind of work. Yeah, there. we would just require you to actually create a, a select element in your markup and stuff like that and duplicate the options because the way options work in Melt, it's a little bit different. We don't use the native option element, right? You'd yeah, exactly. have to duplicate markup a little bit, which is the downside. Yeah. That's also a downside if you do it the other way. If you did the if mobile in the markup, like you would also have to duplicate markup. So exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I really enjoy progressive enhancement and SSR stuff. Doing stuff without JavaScript, it's very exciting to me. And it's one of the things that breaks my heart working in ML because I know that all of them require JavaScript and I really, really do like progressive enhancement too. I love yeah. doing experiments <laughs> with it. I did a Reddit poll which is fully uh, non-JavaScript friendly. I mean, it works fully with the server. So it breaks my heart a little bit, but I do want to address that at some point. It's sad to me that like a lot of the elements that we have to create need JavaScript to make them fully accessible, but we are getting there with HTML elements. They've added a lot of HTML elements and OpenUI is doing a lot to come and add more elements that are actually native to the browser that are fully accessible to. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about the popover API, the select list. I don't remember what. Yeah, I was just going to mention it. Yeah, some really exciting stuff is coming up. There's dialogue now. Like we have lots of things yeah. that we didn't have just a couple of years there's ago. A, there's a search element as well. There's a search element? Was it? Did you say search? I did, yeah. And isn't input search, hasn't that been around? Like a combo box? No, so, so it's, it's really just a semantic element. It doesn't really do anything. It just tells the browser that it's a, this is for But searching. would it be input search, like, but it just is a search? No, it's just what, search. What is it? It's just an element. But inside of that, you would put a form and, oh. and stuff. I guess it means you can interact with control K or command K or whatever. So you would have to put a form and then a search and then an input? I, d- I don't remember the exact order of, of things. I'm going to have to look that up after this because I have to make a global search bar. It's very simple. <laughs> 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 That's something I want to do with Melt. I was going to say that 
the reason these things are exciting is because they're boring. Um, if that makes sense. It's great. I think it's great. <laughs> this stuff is not boring to me. This is like literally my entire day. Like I could just talk about this all day. <laughs> I mean, boring in terms of something that is not fancy rather than. Oh yeah. Not interesting. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. It's really an infrastructure thing, like a really low level thing. And there's lots of different ways to do this stuff. And so it's kind of complex problems that you have to figure out what's the best way, what's the best API, what's the most developer friendly. Like it's it's really kind of difficult to figure out like what's going to be the most or the, I guess, the best DX and then also be the most performant and just the nicest to work with. It avoids reinventing the wheel and it, it avoids bike shedding, I think. And that's that's too massive points of value for me. Imagine how many hours people have spent building these things over yeah. and over and over and over again, just because it doesn't exist. There's Redix UI, Zag, Melt, React Aria, Aria Kit. I can go on. That is literally the point of OpenUI. That's what they're trying to solve is they're building components for the web so that people don't have to keep doing these design systems over and over and over again. So you have native that you can just use and style how you want. And they are headless, so you can just style them to your heart's desire, but you have accessible native elements that just work and are stylable. Yeah. The thing is there will always, the only bad part, uh, kind of like of the web in general, is like things on the web that are native need to be backwards compatible. So if, I don't know, someone shipped the dialogue element and said, oops, Maybe this shouldn't be that way. It right. is now. So there will always be like stuff on top of it. But yeah, of course, having native elements like there that are much easier than, hey, you need to install a package and you need to learn how to use it. And maybe it gets abandoned or something like that. Yeah, it's obviously easier. And I think OpenUI is a fantastic thing. I would much rather have all of these as native elements so yeah. that I yeah. wouldn't have to create Melt. And I think there's always <laughs> going to be other like UI libraries because people want choices for styles and they want easy components to bring in and style their own thing. So there's always going to be a million of those, but to have the native elements without the JavaScript is the goal, right? For sure. Of course. Yeah. I mean, if we had everything working natively, we would maybe have 10 million different style libraries, (laughs) right? Yeah. (laughs) Instead of, instead of me doing Melt as a headless library, I would do like, a styled library instead or something. You would be helping Hunter with Shadzian or making exactly. more like styles for <laughs> Shadzian. Exactly, exactly. I do like my CSS. <laughs> Speaking of, of Shadzian, so that uses Mount UI, right? Under the hood? Yeah, now it does. It used Radix, but then it's refactored to use Mount. Hunter Maybe helps we... out a lot Mount UI should specify Shadzian Spelt because Shadzian started as React library and that's by Vercel, but Shadzian Spelt is not directly affiliated with that. So, and I know this is a Spelt radio podcast, but we should specify that just to clarify. It's very easy to get people to like, you said this, but then take it completely out of context. Yeah. Classic. But yeah, but yeah, Shadzian is built with Melt.ui. And when I started Melt.ui, I talked with Hunter like, hey, I want to build out another thing, but I still want it to, I still want Shadzian Svelte to work out. So I'm going to try and have all the components for Edix in into Melt. It's still not a thing, but most, like almost all of the components that you have in Redix you have in Melt, not all. They're still missing like two or three, I don't know. So you two are just collaborating and working together, kind of building both libraries to kind of help build on to the other one, essentially. Exactly, exactly. I'm not working too much in SetSense Felt. Mostly, sometimes Hunter like, asks me for some feedback or something like that. But yeah, now to why he contributes a lot. He's been working a lot on the date picker, which is super hard. Yeah. yeah because time zones, <laughs> locales, accessibility. <laughs> he gets the, the, uh, the really frustrating components. He worked on almost <laughs> all of the menu components, too. And I'm just do, there doing taps, which I love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And combo box. I like. I feel like Anthony has, has issues with the time zones. 
I do. I have issues with many things, time zones and date pickers and everything else. <laughs> we built our own a long time ago, and we're now slowly replacing it with a native date component. To be fair, we built it because yeah. I think Safari had a 13-year-old bug where the date picker wouldn't render. But It's just 13 years. Just 13 years, you know, get to oh, it. Oh, my goodness. It. Did Jen Simmons finally get it fixed? I believe it got fixed. Yeah, I think I think it probably was was that emphasis from her. But yeah, so now we can go back to using native ones again and be happy as long as they don't break it again. I swear, as yeah. soon as they hired her, Safari just <laughs> took off like a rabbit with everything, like a flying turtle. Yeah, that Mozilla need, Mozilla needs to hire uh, someone to for Firefox because yeah, I'm sad. I love Firefox, but I know I still cool. use it. I'm using it now, in fact. Yeah. Ooh. I'm I'm now so, back to it. That tree tab <laughs> <laughs> If tree style tabs doesn't work, try panorama group. It's cool too. I just wish it would collapse. That's the only thing I wish it would do is collapse and expand. And tree style tabs works for you. Okay. Do you have a workflow that you use to follow, like if you're watching Shad CN libraries for updates, do you have a workflow for watching updates on that library and when updates happen, how do you track that? So to be honest, like Melt is more concerned with the Radix UI side of things and they don't add components as frequently. They are working on the farm components as a uh, beta, but yeah, they, they do things a little bit more slowly. They actually work, are focusing a lot on Radix teams, which is kind of like Radix patent as well. Yeah. So I, it's not something that concerns me too much in that yeah, sense. Yeah, because it's the other way. Yeah, and Shetsy and Svelte, sometimes, yeah, they have some components that are not in Radix. They created their own ones. For example, the combo box one. Like the, the Shetsy and Svelte has an autocomplete component, but Radix doesn't uh, have an autocomplete one. And the way that Shetsy and the original one has the autocomplete is, it's different, actually. Normally, a combo box is an input and when you click on that input, it opens a bunch of options. So a mix between a select. You write yeah. it, and the options get filtered. The way ShadCN works, it's not that way. It's a button which opens a menu that has an input and the options. So the input is actually contained in the menu, which is weird. Yeah. And I know the yeah, it's different. It's it's actually pretty. It's really pretty. But if you look at like the the YRE examples and patterns for combo box. Our filters at work, I think that's how they work. We have an accordion that like comes down and then we have a search input and then it filters like a list. That's fine. I, I think that's fine. I think that's fine. Probably. But normally like... <laughs> my, Sounds confident. <laughs> I'm not... The, even though I'm doing accessible library, I'm still learning. Like accessibility is really hard and nuanced and there are, a lot, there are thousands of people who know much more about accessibility than I do. I'm really actually looking forward to a course by Sarah, and I don't know how to pronounce her last name. Oh, but um, Sudan. Sarah's, yeah, exactly. And she's working on an accessibility course that's going to go out this month. I'm really hyped for it because I really want to grab it. People who are doing, I think it's on early preview for some people, and they're saying really good stuff about it. Yeah, but yeah I'm just do, trying my best to learn accessibility stuff because it's hard. Like, even though there are conventions, Sometimes conventions aren't super well-defined in some places, too. There's nuance. It's not like a strict science. I'm going to shout out Ben Myers, too. I'm actually wearing one of his shirts, HTML shirt. But he's also big into accessibility. He works for Microsoft on the accessibility team there and puts out a lot of good content on accessibility. Yeah, there are a lot of really good accessibility content creators mm -hmm. like, uh, who write tons of articles. Some things, some components which looks simple are really hard to build and think about like tooltips. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's accessibility is a, it's not easy. So the course is called Practical Accessibility. Exactly. Uh, and it's going to be linked in the show notes. All right. Let's talk a bit about the, these new uh, magical things that are coming in Svelte 5. Runes. Runes. So you, uh, <laughs> runes. Yeah. Nice. So the, you're pretty excited about runes, right? I it am. simplifies your, your work immensely. So much that he could not take his vacation. Like he was on vacation talking in the threads. 
<laughs> One day I was like, Thomas, there's a beautiful landscape. Stop <laughs> looking at this card. Focus. But then I was at the hotel. I need to write a Twitter thread about why rooms are great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm at the hotel at night. It's fine. Yeah, that's true. You can't see anything outside if it's dark. Exactly. Exactly. What is it with runes that are particularly exciting for you? Maybe actually we could give a, a short intro to runes. Does anyone want to give it a try? What are runes? Runes are magical symbols that are going to increase the developer experience and fine-grained reactivity of spells. With ChatGPT, yeah, is that you? <laughs> no, I did not type anything. I'm kidding. I'm Do we want to know what the actual runes are? Certainly, R- runes are uh, compiler hints, right? For Svelte, so that Svelte can figure out what is should be and shouldn't be reactive. They also work in JavaScript and TypeScript files. They're not just for the compiler, right? Yeah. And then they, they kind of compile a markers. They're not even they're not even mess methods that you import or anything. There was a discussion about this exact topic today, which is why I was waiting for everybody else to kind of say what they were first. But I think, yeah, basically <laughs> that's that's it. The best description probably is is a compiler symbol. There's another library that wants to use the same word for a slightly different concept. And I'm, I'm wondering like, is it is it the right thing to do? Is it not the right thing to do? But yeah, so we'll see how that pans out. Signals. Well, so signals are different again, aren't they? Signals are under the hood now. So signals are something that the browser has or browser supports, I think. Oh, do not, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. So they're not, it's not yet native, but it, it's kind of planned like it's a potential upcoming thing. Are the signals also coming as a browser API or only observables? I think I said, I read somewhere on, on Twitter that there were library maintainers talking about signals with twitter the, is the source of truth of well i mean these these, these, <laughs> these people i give them a high i know reliability score or what's it whatever you call it giving you crap yeah <laughs> it did sound kind of <laughs> sketchy right oh i read on twitter <laughs> yeah. but if you said oh no rich harris tweeted about it okay that's more credible yeah that's I don't remember who it was. I don't remember who it was. But yeah. <laughs> they have loads of numbers after the name. Yeah. I think one thing that I've seen a lot in, so there's a runes channel on, on the Svelte Discord now, and I see it a lot. And people think that the runes are functions. They just look like functions, but they're not, which is, I guess, not the, it's not super clear that they're not functions. I wonder if, if there was some other way to, to make it clearer. At the same time, like Svelte already, uh, Svelte has a delicate compromise between it needs to be valid JavaScript syntax because of tooling. But at the same time, we want this to mean something else. For example, you would have dollar sign two dots something equal, like a variable equals something. That actually translates to a let assignment and then a reactive statement, yeah. right? Something like that. But so the difference here is though that. No one uses labels. Everyone uses functions, is yeah, what I would yeah, say. But I, I agree. I agree. I'm not the kind of person that needs to know like what everything is doing under the hood. So it's not a function under the hood. I guess I assumed it was too, because you're passing in like an argument and it looks like a function, but not in the derived one, right? I don't think you pass in a function there. Or, or do you? I don't I don't know. No, derived you pass in an expression and in fact you pass in a function. The curious thing, too, is that since they look like functions, with TypeScript tooling, you can also do things that are normally restricted to functions. For example, in TypeScript, you could do const count equals double, which is a function, and pass in a parameter. But you can also pass in a generic, right? Mm. Double is not the best function to pass in a generic, but you could do double, <laughs> then that generic symbol, which I don't know the name, which look like arrows. Uh, and you can also assume that with rooms you will also be able to do that like state and then pass in something like a door like an inside derived to say what the type of it is i think i may be totally wrong but in props you will be able i think 
isn't props like up in the air? Like they've talked a lot about props and what they're going to do with it, if it's going to happen or not, but it would be a big DX lift for the way props are currently handled because of how we have to do, especially in component libraries, how we have to do yeah. spread props and rest props. Yeah, I was actually like talking with the other investors the other day about this. Like, I was doing a component where I had to type props somewhere, and then I already had typed them, and then I have to explicitly declare off them. And in those cases, the DX is massively improved. But I can also see where in some other cases, it's not uh, so much massively improved. Like, sometimes you don't need to do to do that. Sometimes you just you want the type to be automatically inferred by like an assignment or something like that, and now it's not going to be the case with uh, with the props room. So it's it's a delicate balance. I had a thought in your case. Could you not do like a one-line export and commas and just then equal to like your just whole type instead of... Like export let props, right? Something like that. Well, export and then you have to do them separately, but you do it as like one big object instead of instead of export let and like the whole list that works? yeah uh, today i learned <laughs> i'm going to have to look into that because red expelled was written like that too a bunch of export lets just a big list of export lets. oh yeah and it gets really annoying when you've got a lot of them and if they've got default values you can do them in line like that too in the commas but that is kind of hard to read so some of those I would pull out, but if they're just no default value, I would just put them in an object at the end. Damn, I really didn't know about this. I feel like a fool, especially because I did do export with object syntax for like class, class name, right? Export class name as class. Huh, okay. I'll have to look into that. What rune are you most excited about for MeltUI? I would say actually... I'm- I don't say there's a specific room, to be honest. I'm just excited about it as a whole because of what it brings. For example, one frustration that comes up with Melt a lot, not as a consumer of Melt, not as a creator, is passing down stars or something like that, right? In Svelte, let's say you have an object and you have stars inside that object, right? Which is my case. You have the const dialog equals create dialog and have dialog.elements.roots. Yep. Let's say I want to pass that in to an element. So dot, 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 dialog.elements.dollarsignRoot. <laughs> oh, that doesn't work. Yeah. That doesn't work. You have to remove the root from there and do const root equals dialog.elements.root and then you can spread it. With rooms, no, you just do dialog.elements.root. I would change the syntax to so it's more concise. But yeah, you can just... Right pop it in. So that's one thing I'm really excited about. I'm also excited about, this is not Melt specific, but just being able to use the same reactive syntax in Svelte components and then yeah. copy-paste into a function in JavaScript and, and just do some getters and setters. That's, that's marvelous. That was a it's huge win. Such a, yeah, exactly. It's, it always irked me. Like A lot of people coming from other frameworks like, I can do this with a custom hook with a view composable. Can you do that in Svelte? I'm like, Probably, but sometimes it would be a bit of a headache. Now you can. Now it's easy. So, I mean, now, like, in the future, <laughs> with runes, it will be easy. I am excited to actually learn more platform stuff because, like, I don't really know much about getters and setters because I've never had to use them. And now I get to learn more. Well, maybe, unless they give us, like, something to prevent us from having to write it. <laughs> you can always do it on, on your own, right? If something was no. added, it would probably be... I don't have time to learn that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't have a need for it. If I had a need for it, I would, but I just don't. Yeah. Because there's been talk about adding adding a helper thing, right? Like a runify or a box thing that, that would do this stuff for you. This is something that I'm really curious about. When I first... I, I went through a roller coaster with runes. I learned about runes. I was like, this is amazing. Then I tried to do export let a state. Right from a TypeScript function, it wouldn't work. And I was like, "Room suck." <laughs> Just kidding. I wasn't like that, but I was like, "Huh, this is an oversight and stuff like that." And why is it this way? Because I was used, I already knew about the concept of signals, and I know that Svelte uses this under different. But then I understood, hey, we're not supposed to 
think of this as a signal or, or think about signals. We're just supposed to use this. But my interpretation of it was like, think of this as a variable, kind of. You can't export a variable from a TypeScript file and then just modify it. To do that, you would need getters and setters, just like a normal variable. So that's when it started to make sense. Oh, state is kind of like just telling stuff like, hey, watch this little guy here. It's kind of mm -hmm. that way, just saying, hey, this is reactive. Pay close attention to this one. That's it. Yeah, under the hood, it uses signals, but it's unlike view and solid where you have access to the signal reference, right? You can hack it a little bit. Not hack it. You can create a function that has its own internal state with its own getters and setters, and just use that. It would look really similar to solids or views implementation if you want. Which is, I'm, I'm curious, like, what's going to look like when rooms are released? Like, if there's something new that's going to come up because of getters and setters, or if the community will adapt and just start using a convention like that somewhere. Yeah. Like, it's curious. I know that the state not giving us access to the signal reference was intentional from a design point of view uh, to avoid spaghetti code and stuff like that and avoid not being able to track what, what's going on. And I agree with that, but I'm curious how the community or how rules will change until it releases or how the community will adapt when it does. I'm, I'm really curious. curious how the browser API is going to develop too. Yeah. Yeah. There's been... Like browser, browser APIs tend to always be a little worse than what frameworks kind of make the DX a little better than what browser APIs tend to be. And I would rather use the framework because it makes the DX better. Hence, web components are always my like go-to awful API of like yeah. death. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I, yeah, I think it'd be nice. They're not the bad browser. if you use, use Svelte. If you use Svelte, but it's a framework that has made the DX of web components I better. Know. Well, I always hear from web components <laughs> fans or advocates that, you know, they're really easy. Just use, and then they say extensive. Lit well, or... Yeah, or lit. Or like, well, then that's not web components, you know. Exactly. It's an immediate step. But, it, you know, the same thing could be said here, you know, let's, let's say that signals are hard to, to use raw or whatever, but it's fine because Svelte's abstracting over that. And when it goes into build the browser, that will just be an automatic kind of flip and you'll use the browser native one. As we do with like, you know, a lot of the observers, if they're not in the browser, we'll create them. If not, then we'll use a native. Uh, if they're not in the browser, we'll create them. If they're in the browser, we'll use the native ones and it keeps everything. And you'll seamless. just do it under the hood and keep the same DX for us. Exactly. For us, for ourselves as well. Power <laughs> felt compiler. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually one, one weird thing about runes, of course, is it, it, it's almost like a step away a bit from that kind of compiled reactivity to more real-time reactivity, which is interesting. Runtime run reactivity. Yeah, runtime reactivity, yeah. Yeah. But this is something I'm also eager about. Like Sometimes reactive statements, since they work with static analysis, they have these weird behaviors that you don't expect because you're not the compiler analyzing it statically. You're a human. And while when you work with Svelte for a long time, you are mindful of these sometimes with a more complex component you miss those i recently when i was working on the red website i was like why isn't this working why is this happening and stuff like that and i switched the reactive statements how oh, it works yeah and with runes that won't be a thing which is really exciting uh, you like just said app right and i just realized we didn't even get to that and we've been yeah. talking for almost an hour <laughs> yeah yeah the new app right website Built in Svelte and Kit? What, what's this exactly. about? Is it the landing page? Uh, AppRite has been working on its new brand for a while, and with that comes its new website and docs. Why do I separate the two? Website is more like blog and some landing page stuff, some cool animations, just so newcomers can see what AppRite is all about with some really fancy uh, design that our design team has worked tirelessly, uh, tirelessly on but also much better to work with docs, both for like users. Like we now have searching docs like everyone else, but yeah, there's some stuff, interesting stuff I want to get into there. How Svelte helped us into in our brief time. I don't know how much time we still have, <laughs> but yeah. So it's built in Svelte kit, which is amazing. 
not only because I love Svelte, it's now much easier to develop compared to our last stack, which was PHP with Docker. Each time I had to change, yeah, each time I had to change a single line of code, Docker Compose, or I, I, I'm a noob at Docker. I'm familiar with that. I have to do that, oh. even with our Svelte app. <laughs> oh, damn. And then it's just like 15 seconds and, oh, I forgot the line. No hot pillow, <laughs> just manual. But even barring that, like, I really love Southkit's developer experience. It was really great to develop uh, using it. It also helped me a ton. Like, as I said, we really wanted this site to be visually appealing and interesting and unique. And so we had a bunch of animations, for example, in, on the landing page. And I love making animations interactable. So I also, I don't use only CSS transitions and web animations, API and stuff like that. I also use Svelte's transitions and animations for stuff because it's so much easier. For example, sometimes I simulate an entry entering into a database. I show the table, right? And instead of me manually animating, like this element needs to go down, all of these need to go down. And then one pops up like with CSS, I just add it to a Svelte store and just use Svelte transition and animate with slides and fades and stuff like that. Super easy, really, really easy. In that sense, it helped quite a lot. I used it a ton there. One thing that was really cool too, just like file-based system routing, stuff like that. We are using static files for our tutorials and blogs and stuff like that, together with something that's not well-known and I think should be, which is a MarkDoc processor. Have you all heard of MarkDoc? No. Um, no. You know MDX, I assume. Yep. MD-Specs. So, MD-Specs, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that too. <laughs> so MDX is what like Astro uses and React folks use. And then we have, of course, MDSFACs, which is also a great thing. I use it on Mount, actually, MDSFACs. But Markdoc is a thing by Stripe, which is also a Markdown processor that allows you to put components and stuff in there with drops. But the thing is, there was no adapter for Svelte. Then my, my team lead, uh, team lead Karsten Bittman created a Svelte preprocessor to allow using Markdown. It's actually published on NPM, stuff like that. You can check it out. And it's what FWrite websites uses. And I think it's really, really awesome. It's pretty cool. And we use it with normal Svelte kit. So we have the name of the article in the folder, then plus page.markdown. That's it. We use it a ton there. It's also really helpful in that, that sense. I feel like Svelte preprocessors are one of a big pro in Svelte. Like it's not something you're going to use all the time, but I really love preprocessors. It's not something I, I've seen in other frameworks. Yeah, it's something that definitely and, gives you control over doing something that's your own, almost like a custom language on top of Svelte, which is quite amazing, really. Could be a could be a foot gun as well. Uh, of course, I agree. everything is escape patch and a foot gun, right? But <laughs> with yeah. great power comes <laughs> great responsibility. Yeah, we use it in Melt actually to like since we have to spread the props and use an action. We actually have a preprocessor that just uses a single action, like use, melt, then you pass in the element, and that's it with a preprocessor. But yeah, I think that's a little bit about it. It looks Anything great. Anything else? I was going to say, like, just like a little over halfway down the site, there's the cards that like just swipe in, and it's so cool. So if anybody has time, iprite.io and just swipe through the cards. It is super Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was pretty great. One challenge with those animations, we're making them like between certain animation states, you have to interrupt an animation. And when you go back, it needs to start back from scratch. But I'm using JavaScript. It's an async function. You cannot interrupt an async function. I had to do some really wonky stuff in there to make it work. It works quite well, but it was definitely interesting using some custom Svelte stars for that too and stuff like that. If anyone is curious enough, and crazy enough to try and understand what's going on there. It's a little bit interesting. I also modified, created a custom flip directive for the animation. I overwritten it a little bit because the the way flip works, it like it just scales it up or down according to like where it's going. But then the internal elements gets warped. So I modified it by passing CSS variables that you can apply internally to like inverse the scale warping. I feel like that was to do too. This one I like. Spot's pretty extensible with these transition directives and all its directives. Really. Yeah, definitely something that I think I would probably mention it all the time on the podcast. But if you're using other frameworks like Vue and React, you're not accustomed to having these things built in. 
Mm. And they they are really nice. Once you use them, you're like, oh, this was so easy. Maybe I'll just keep using Svelte because why not? Exactly. Exactly. It's quite a... They're enduring features. They're not like must-haves, but you love them so much that you don't want to abandon them. Like, I don't want Exactly. To, how do I do transitions now? All a library? No. It looks like yeah, it's it, all open source too. It is. It is. So we'll put, we'll put a link to, to it in the, in the show notes. I think we've chatted a bit about Rune, Smelt, the website. Let's move to the next section here, which is our most popular section, the unpopular opinions section. Who wants to go first? Does anyone have a an unpopular opinion? I have an unpopular opinion. If we need someone to yeah. go first, yeah, okay. I mean, it's, it's usual. Go for it. My unpopular opinion relates to what we talked about earlier about not re- reinventing the wheel. And my unpopular opinion is reinvent the wheel. And the reason that I say that is because a lot of me saying that don't reinvent the wheel actually made me realize that you know sometimes someone who has a great idea needs to reinvent the wheel because that's how we progress. You know, that's how we find... The wheel was square. The wheel may well have been square. The, first. the wheel could have been triangle. It was. <laughs> well, the first I, It wheel. was square at first. Yeah. Yeah. The first wheel was square. If they didn't reinvent the wheel, we would not be on like the wheels we are on. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. So I guess, yeah, do, do reinvent the wheel. Yes. Now, you know, in, in, you know, don't do it for the sake of doing it. But do it when you feel that there's a need, when you've got an idea. Svelte, I mean, it's reinvented the wheel, right? <laughs> <laughs> kind of, kind of. Yeah. I don't have a, an unpopular opinion. Think outside the box. My unpopular opinion was just going to be that browser APIs, at, while I like having them, are not great to use, but I don't know that that's that unpopular. Depends on the API, I suppose, yeah. I'm excited for the temporal API to expand, but I mean, it's just because dates are awful. Can I have two unpopular opinions since Kev doesn't have one <laughs> yeah. I love to talk, as you can all see? Sure. Perfect. So my first one that I had thought of was free commit hooks are bad or unnecessary most of the time. Oh, just slow, They just slow you down. Like commit is just me saying, I want this at a point in time. Most people will just like not know verify it or like it's stuff that should be caught by our CI anyways. Right. Okay, I am going to disagree with you. You want to know why? Mm-hmm. Okay, so we have Prettier set up in our code base, and our CI will fail if Prettier is not ran. There's no pre-commit hook or anything before I set up one to run Prettier on the code base, and then it fails in CI once it builds 20 minutes later. So you have no check between I mean, if it takes 20 minutes to build your product, then yeah, I would say it's mostly fine. But I would say mo- like most projects don't take that long. So my pre-commit hook runs on anything that you have committed. So it runs on like a few files. It takes like yeah. a second. And it just yeah. runs prettier on the files that you have committed. Still, I would say that if you're going to use hook, like a Git hook, do it for push instead of like commit because I just want to save my state. I don't want anything getting on the way. Pre-push hooks, I, I still don't like them, but they're preferable in my opinion, than a, much preferable than a commit hook. I think I disagree. I, agree. I disagree because the pre-commit hook is better in that you're not going to have a commit full of errors and problems and then have another commit that cleans them up. If you want to make sure you can commit easily without any worrying, then you can just do dash dash and over dash verify on the end and then it won't run any hooks. So you can always escape it. Yeah, but that's the thing. In a team, you like if all the if people share that up uh, like the opinion like, hey, this commit's annoying, I just want to save my state, and it just will not verify it anyways, then why have it? You know. But I, I understand what you mean. You can squash later when you want to save your state and you've got a bunch of commits where you fix stuff, you can squash them all together. Whereas if you're doing it on pre-push, those commits are already in. I suppose you could still you could squash them in, in retrospect, but I don't know. Yeah, normally that's what's going to happen when you're going to put it in a PR, right? <laughs> that's not true. When you're working that's on it. But, but yeah, my opinion is really unpopular. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a we, do, we do squash and merge at the end too. But then we have some teams that rebase and some teams that merge with master. And that's really annoying too. Ooh, 
Yeah, I, we just started using scratching mounts, and it's so good. It's the first time I'm using scratch markers, honestly, and they're so clean. <laughs> My second unpopular, this one I think you will agree with me more. Performance is more important than you think. A lot of people, when they go and say, hey, I, I'm fine with using something that's not as performant or something like that, because in the end, it, it doesn't matter or something like that. But mm. I would say it matters. It doesn't until it does. Someone may have a, a device that's not as powerful. You may end up implementing a feature that is going to be a CPU or something intensive, stuff like that, and then you're stuck. Then you're stuck using something that's not performant and changing from that is going to be a pain. So if there's a good default that is uh, like something that by default is performant and it, it's a good tool, barring uh, not only performant, but it's generally a good tool, like Svelte, it's performant and it's a good, really good tool, then I would say that performance is a really good selling point. Some people try to downplay yeah. that a lot and I'm like, I, I, I think it kind of depends on the framing from like a front-end framework point of view. I think that makes sense. But from a back-end point of view, I think you're generally in a position where you can just throw more strong, bigger, better servers on, onto the issue. Like if, if you don't have to use Rust to optimize your, your back-end kind of thing. But yeah. I also agree. It depends. I agree with you. <laughs> yeah, I'm talking more on a front-end framework, I, I guess. But I, I agree with you on that. Yeah. Okay, I think that's our... our Controversial or unpopular opinions. Maybe we should change it to controversial opinions. Then yeah, we can hot takes. pick. Then we can pick a lot more stuff. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Let's move on to picks. What, what are your What are your picks? Who wants to go first? Anthony, you look. You look like you're. I'm I have another TV show. Yeah, I'm pensive. I don't think I have a pick necessarily this time. Only have a pick. Nothing has interested me in the last week. Opinions. <laughs> You've been too busy. I've been too, I have yeah. been too busy, to be fair. Yes. <laughs> All right, Brittany? Invasion. Another TV show? Yeah, this last episode, it's just building up for the end now. So this last episode was a little slow, but it's been really good this season. Yeah, I've I like it as well. It's good. All the Apple shows have been really good. They're knocking it out have of the park. Have you all watched Severance? Yes. Yes. Uh, yes. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, very good. They're taking a while for the next series, though, right? The next season. Every show has done that. <laughs> and it's so long between them that I need almost to watch the season again because I forget everything that happens. This is why maybe they do it on purpose. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't theory. watch the season and then I just have to kind of catch up as I go along. Yeah. But it's, it's a problem. Or watch a 20-minute YouTube recap. Well, this is why I like it. enjoying the, the whole um, binge-watching thing. Just wait till it's, it's all done and released and then watch it. Yep. You know, at your leisure. Yeah, but also I, I like participating in the hype, like <laughs> yeah. I, uh, joining the community. Like, did you see that episode? It's yeah, true. <laughs> yeah. That, that does feel like it's coming back. Yeah. Like, yeah. The weekly shows where you can actually like have conversations about them rather than binge-watching watch, everything. Weekly shows are much better. I wonder if Netflix kind of realized this since they, they've started splitting up their, their they seasons into multiple mini parts. mini series and like little part series, yeah. I think so, yeah. Okay, I'm going to pick now. So my pick is The Continental. It's a TV show based on the John Wick universe. It's like a three-episode oh. miniseries. It's, oh, it's pretty good. I recommend it. It's nice. If you like the John Wick universe, of course. Yeah. not. John Wick isn't everyone's cup of tea. But. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty awesome. Yeah, that's my pick. Okay. My pick then will be the Berserk mangas. I've all, when I was a kid, I loved animes and stuff like that. Not too much of mangas. And I kind of stopped for a while. And I always wanted to read Berserk as a Dark Souls and stuff like that then. And, and now I can't stop buying these massive books that my girlfriend's yeah. wearing. Like, I really have to buy a new shelf. They're too big. <laughs> It's pretty good manga. Yeah, I'm really enjoying it. And it's made me start watching anime all over again. So, yeah, <laughs> it's pretty fun. You're from Brazil, right? Kinda, it's complicated. Kinda? I was actually okay. born in Switzerland. With three years old, I moved to Brazil. But I'm okay. actually Portuguese because of my family. <laughs> <laughs> all right. But I feel like Brazilians watch a lot of manga or anime. Oh, I should say. yeah, they do. 
they do. It's a, a pretty big thing there. There are a lot of anime, like cons, like Comic Con, but for anime only. Mm. I've been to some. It's pretty fun. Yeah, it's, that confirmed my suspicions. Not suspicions. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. Brazilians like anime. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's okay. Pretty it's pretty big there, for sure. At least where I was. <laughs> yeah. With that said, we have come to the end of the show. Thank you for joining us, Thomas. Where can people find you? Thank you. Oh, yeah, on Twitter as Thomas G. Lopez. Yeah, mostly Twitter is where I'm at. And right. the Discord threads. Oh, yes. And the Discord the, threads. The Discord, uh, the Smelt Discord on the Rune thread <laughs> or on Melt's Discord too. <laughs> we'll put links to both. And yeah, again, thanks for, for joining us. Thanks so much for inviting Thank me. Thank you. It was great. Yeah. yeah awesome. I'm glad you liked it. And for everyone who's listening, thank you for listening. Again, we will uh, see you next week. Bye. Bye. Hey, it's Kevin here. If you like the show, please drop a review on your favorite podcast player. It would help out a lot. Thanks.